Hello all, and welcome to Current Account with Clay Lowry, the Executive Vice President here at the Institute of International Finance. The purpose of this podcast is to bring to your attention current issues in international finance and economics, as well as provide a U.S. policy and politics angle on these different issues. Clay, over to you. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Current Account. I'm your host, Clay Lowry. In this episode, we're going to talk about what's been going on in the United Kingdom. I'm pretty sure I called it a calamity last week when I did my episode. This week, I want to go a little further into it. I'll try to deal with three issues. What happened that I'm calling it a calamity? Second, we have a new prime minister in the UK, Rishi Sunak. Who is he? and What are his policies? And third, what is he actually dealing with? So let's just first start with what actually happened. So in early September, the United Kingdom got a new prime minister, Liz Truss, who is a conservative member of parliament to replace Boris Johnson, who had been prime minister for the previous three years. One of her first acts as prime minister came on September 23rd, when her chancellor of the exchequer, which is the equivalent of a finance minister, or in the United States, a treasury secretary, announced a set of policies to cut taxes dramatically in an attempt to kickstart economic growth. This policy, however, was announced in a kind of strange context. The Bank of England had been raising rates substantially to tame inflation, which had reached over 10% in England and seems to be continuing to rise. Another contextual point was that it came at a time when the UK had outlaid significant spending over the last few years to address COVID, and to help subsidize the costs of energy rising in the context of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And maybe more on the bureaucratic side, but very importantly, it appears the announcement came without any consultation with the United Kingdom's fiscal watchdog, which is called the Office of Budget Responsibility, nor little consultation with the Bank of England on what could be the potential market impacts from such an announcement. Well, in the end, the result was a total market meltdown with currency markets, the pound, hitting close to 40-year lows, and maybe more worrying for the government was the bond markets, in England these are known as gilts, where prices fell and yields increased substantially. It turns out there was a lot of volatility in the markets, and liquidity became a problem, and particularly for pension funds, which hold substantial amount of gilts. It actually then created a vicious cycle or a vicious circle in those markets driving prices down even further as pension funds were having to sell gilts in order to pay off for collateral or margin. This, of course, made the prices go down even further. And so it actually put these funds into uh, the concern of could they actually go bankrupt or couldn't make their, their margin calls. What happened? The Bank of England had to step in and they intervened to buy gilts to stabilize the market and to provide liquidity. Of course, this was almost completely counter to its policy of raising interest rates to stop inflation. While it provided some market stability, it was also of deep concern for the overall economic policy. All in then, we have poor economic policy, poor communications, a disastrous market cycle, and frankly, a complete loss of confidence in policymaking in the United Kingdom. This came to a head during our annual meetings a couple of weeks ago, where the governor of the Bank of England, Andrew Bailey, interviewed by my CEO, Tim Adams, actually told the markets, 
our intervention will end in three days. A few days later, Liz Truss resigned. So this brings us to now. We have a new prime minister, Rishi Sunak, who is the former finance minister or chancellor of the Exchequer. He has become the new leader of the Conservative Party and therefore the UK's next prime minister. In a lot of ways, this is historic. Sunak will be the first ethnic minority as the first Hindu in the role. And he will also be the youngest prime minister in over 200 years. Who is he? What were his policies like when he was the chancellor? And what was he advocating or campaigning on? Because he ran against Liz Truss earlier in the summer when she became the prime minister. And maybe this will tell us a little bit of how will he and his team deal with the crises that the UK faces. Mr. Sunak, or I should say Prime Minister Sunak, had a very successful career in the investment world and so knows finance and economics very, very well. He started his political career, though, fairly recently, only in 2015 when he was elected to the House of Commons. And after that, he became a leader and rose up very quickly through the ranks and became the Chancellor of the Exchequer, which is usually considered the second most important job in the government of the United Kingdom in 2020. As Chancellor, he had many different issues he had to deal with, but I would say I break it down into three major issues. First big issue by far was dealing with the COVID pandemic. Chancellor Sunak's popularity actually surged during this time as he was seen as the point person on spending billions of pounds to support workers during this crisis time and to try to find other emergency support for businesses. A second major area that he focused on is one that we've discussed a lot on uh, current account, which is the issue about sustainable finance. In fact, in 2021, while addressing the IIF, Chancellor Sunak had the following to say. So what's happening right now is an irreversible, I believe, shift in global finance. Climate change is already disrupting the way we do business, the way we ensure risk and the way investors manage capital. The question is whether we have the vision and determination to seize the opportunities, not just fear the risks. Because the businesses and companies that can show they're meeting this imperative will gain a clear competitive advantage. The same logic applies to countries too, and I want the UK to be the global leader in green finance. The question he refers to in that uh, piece is still a very important question. But then the risks changed in 2022, and so this is the third issue, which was Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And this added, or maybe accelerated, a new crisis in the UK, which is a cost of living crisis from higher inflation and higher energy prices. Chancellor Sunak resigned in July of 2022 as scandals and party division plagued the Conservative Party and led to Boris Johnson's resignation shortly thereafter. He then campaigned against Liz Truss as basically to be the pragmatic conservative and let's call it the hard truths candidate. And where they probably departed most was on their issues of taxes and on how to deal with the cost of living increases. Over the course of the campaign, Liz Truss was relentless in her singular priority to cut taxes. Sunak, on the other hand, was much more cautious, and maybe even some would say technocratic in his stance on tax cuts, and being somewhat prophetic on the problems with Truss's approach. 
He started his campaign by promising to cut inflation first and foremost before worrying about cutting taxes. While Chancellor Sunex lost in his leadership election to Truss, he is now vindicated since former Prime Minister Truss's unfunded tax cuts defined her brief and very turbulent leadership. However, now Prime Minister Sunak faces a very tough road ahead. Fundamentally, Prime Minister Sunak is without a doubt inheriting a tricky economic landscape with tumultuous and uncertain economic and political conditions. Maybe we should call it a poison chalice. Hopefully it is not. Let me try to put it into a little bit of a framework. If an economy is about fundamentals, policies or policy levers, and confidence, usually there is a pony to be found among those three areas. For Prime Minister Sunak and his new chancellor, all I can find for them is manure. Fundamentals are quite weak. High inflation, lack of economic growth. Policymaking is highly constrained. Fiscal space as we saw from Prime Minister Truss's leadership, is non-existent, and monetary policy is locked into dealing with the fundamental problem of inflation. And finally, I don't think I need to say much about confidence because there really is none. Achieving some sense of stability probably will be the Prime Minister's goal. And over the last few days, we have actually seen that as markets have stabilized as the prime minister is trying to take a gradual approach to dealing with some of the problems in his country. One of his first acts was to appoint his cabinet, including Jeremy Hunt, to be his new chancellor. And they are working on a fiscal consolidation plan, which is going to roll back all the taxes, the tax cuts that were put in place, and to cut expenses. This plan is expected to be released in mid-November. Interestingly, when Sunak was the chancellor, he was known actually for his spending during the coronavirus pandemic. As prime minister, we can expect that he will actually be doing quite the opposite, maybe raising taxes and almost certainly cutting back on spending. So this will be a very different and challenging economic and political landscape for him to navigate. And all of this, of course, is set against the backdrop of persistently high inflation, including high commodity and food prices and high mortgage costs. Last week, Sunak himself was very candid and he acknowledged that the UK is facing an existential crisis. On top of that, the Prime Minister is still having to deal with the fallout from the Brexit vote from a few years ago. And Prime Minister Sunak is known as a pragmatist and a financial realist, and he's also a supporter of Brexit. But he will have to reconcile various divisions within the Conservative Party, let alone England itself, in order to work toward a Brexit deal that gets the job done without tanking the UK economy. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, the UK is facing a huge issue of a lack of confidence. As the third prime minister in just two months, and I believe the fourth chancellor in just three months, the UK government needs to restore its credibility and reassure the markets with, frankly, some fiscal orthodoxy. It's too soon to tell for sure, but his technocratic approach may be just what the UK needs. Now it's time for my three, two, one. My three takeaways. First, financial policy, not surprisingly, can have significant consequences. Some of them are intended and some of them are unintended. But sometimes the financial markets can outlast politicians. Next, 
The UK has appointed a prime minister who undoubtedly has a terrific human story, but maybe more relevantly, who has a reputation for being a stable force. And third, Prime Minister Sunak's technocratic approach and his background as Chancellor of Exchequer is important because he will need to take policy actions to stop market volatility on top of restoring confidence in the UK government. It will be a tall order to fill, but we'll be rooting for him. There are two things that I'm watching out for. The first is we should all stay tuned for how the market reacts to Chancellor Hunt's new budget, which will be released in mid-November. This fiscal consolidation plan will be the first test of the new prime minister's leadership, and it will lay the groundwork for how the government will approach fixing the crisis. Second, around the same time in mid-November, the leaders of the G20 will be meeting in Indonesia to discuss a number of substantive topics. Among those present will be U.S. President Joe Biden, Russian President Vladimir Putin, Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman, and Chinese President Xi Jinping, who has just secured a third term as General Secretary of the Chinese Communist Party. This will be Prime Minister Sunak's first introduction on the world stage, and he'll be walking into a situation that includes some interesting dynamics and, shall we say, a muddy stew of leaders that I just mentioned. Finally, let me talk about my one sports fact. Major League Baseball is starting its World Series, which is its championship, this weekend. And two teams are facing off, the Philadelphia Phillies and the Houston Astros. And they have very different backgrounds that I think is kind of interesting. On one side, we have the Philadelphia Phillies. They were founded in 1883. It is one of the oldest teams in baseball and is by far the oldest team that has the same name and the same city franchise in American professional baseball for all of that time. Maybe more interesting, in in this year, they had the worst record to make the playoffs. In fact, if you go back in the history of the World Series, I believe they are one of the worst five records who ever made it all the way to the World Series. In the playoffs, they've caught fire. On the other hand, we have the Houston Astros, who were founded 80 years after the Philadelphia Phillies were founded. More recently, they have been in four of the last six World Series, and this year they have one of the best records in all of baseball. In fact, if you look at the differential of their wins versus how many the Phillies won, it is the highest differential in over 100 years for any teams making the World Series. By the way, I would note in the event I'm thinking about where it was even a higher differential, the team with the poor record actually won the World Series. As for the Astros, they have not lost a playoff game since the playoff series started. They've won seven games in a row, which is hard to do in a sport that essentially requires you to play every single day. However, there has been some animosity towards this team because they were widely seen as cheating when they won the World Series a few years ago. One very nice story about the Astros is that their manager, Dusty Baker, who is an excellent player himself, is 73 years old which would make him the oldest manager to ever win a World Series. Dusty Baker was brought in to clean up the Astros' reputation after the, the cheating scandal, while still trying to keep them competitive. Well, clearly, he has succeeded in keeping them competitive, and now the talk is less about the cheating Astros and more the dominance of the Astros. Dusty Baker deserves a lot of credit. Anyway, that's it for this week. Thank you very much. I hope you'll join me next week on Current Account with Clay Lowry. 
Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Current Account with Clay Lowry. We'd love to hear from you, so please feel free to provide us any feedback or ideas about the show as we're always looking to improve and make these episodes fun and relevant for the audience. You can provide feedback at podcast at IIF.com. Make sure to tune in Monday for our next episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Thanks for listening.